So a little bit of a little bit of following up from last week, where I talked about um, the I was talking in the talk about awareness of awareness and paying attention to what we're aware of. And even now, again, for a moment, just notice what are you aware of? You know, what are you aware of? You know, you might be aware of me. You might be aware of the sound of my voice. You might be aware of your body. You might be aware of being hungry. You might be aware of being thirsty. You might be aware of, oh, you didn't go to the bathroom and you should have. Or you might be aware that, you know, the lights are bothering you. Or you might be aware that there's uh, a sense of uh, happiness in your heart or sadness in your heart or whatever is here. And whatever you're aware of, notice how that happens like that. Like without trying to be aware of something in particular, but just what are you aware of? It's already happening. And so I was talking about that a bunch last week. Awareness and really, um, it's often it's related to the category or the domain of the third foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of mind. And uh, um, starting to be aware of not, not only what are we aware of, what's our reaction to what we're aware of. And then, can we start to be aware of the awareness itself? And when I was thinking about it, one of the things I started to think about was how um, identified we, we are with what we know and how we project what we know onto reality. Like, you know, we've all learned a couple things in our life, right? A few things. You know, I've learned at least three, you know. I can't remember what they are right now, but if they come, I'll tell you. But, um, but really what I mean is we, we, we learn a lot as human beings, and learning's a beautiful, beautiful part of our reality. But we tend to project what we know onto reality and say, that's what reality is. Or we tend to expect it to keep repeating itself over and over again. And, and, you know, and it does to some extent. But the level of um, projection, the level of um, assumption, the level of idea that we begin to live in can start to separate us from the, from the actual reality of the living moment, of what's here now. Even if it's the same, even if we felt sad a hundred times, the sadness we felt yesterday is not the sadness we're feeling right now. Is not, let me put it better, is not the experience we're having right now. The experience we're having right now in sadness, that's happening, that's a lot right now. And we want to be close to the life of this moment. We want to let the life of this moment wake us up. And so one of the things that we start, one of the dharmic principles that gets highlighted is the truth of anicca, or impermanence. That things are not fixed. Things are not just going to keep happening like they've happened. 
even if they're similar, even if we use the same conceptual labels to define them, it's always brand new each moment. And so permanence is a beautiful understanding and, uh, and really if you look at your life, like think about a year ago. Like where, where were you tonight a year ago? Anybody remember? Or seven months ago? Anybody remember? That's a perfect audience. I'm totally happy with every answer I've gotten for these questions. Right? We don't know because it's gone seven months ago, a year ago, a month ago, ten days ago, yesterday. It's gone. That's part of reality. And it's not a bad thing that it's gone. But because reality is one of the doorways to waking up. And so uh, Suzuki Roshi, who was the founder of Zen Center here in San Francisco, and a beautiful being, beautiful man, he said, when I realized no moment could be repeated, when I realized no moment could be repeated, I was enlightened. And you know, intellectually, we think, yeah, no moment can be repeated. But most of us unconsciously don't really believe that. We try to keep repeating. Mo- we try to keep repeat moments. We try to keep make things happen again. We keep trying to assert our definition of reality, our idea about reality, our belief in reality, our memory of reality onto the present moment. And instead of coming into uh, relationship with what's here in this moment now and so the the idea what happens is we compartmentalize reality or we refer to our database of the past and fill the present with uh, oh it's this is like this oh this happened to me before this is just like what I know instead of being a little curious or interested or open or awake to what's actually here now. Like even if you've heard me give this talk before, which you've never heard me give this talk because I haven't given this talk before, but but it may sound, sound like a talk or it sounds like my voice or it sounds like a talk you've heard before, right? And so if you start, even that, it's, it's fine to have the associations. Don't let the associations become a screen for the living reality of what's happening right now. And so, reality, one of the premises, one of the dharma, one of the Buddhist premises is that reality is impermanent, which means it's not static. There's no stasis. So it's 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 um, uh, uh, ecstatic, right? And everybody gets interested when I say that <laughs> if they listen, because it's 
especially in the Bay Area, this is a community interest that would be ecstatic. <laughs> and that's why I'm here. Because I'm interested in that too, or I'm interested in that part of reality. And it's one of the reasons we're drawn to the Dharma or to a teaching that says, oh, you can wake up to reality here and now in this human form. And part of what happens is we lose the stasis, the staticness, or the rigidity, or the con concretization of reality starts to open up and it becomes ecstasis, ecstatic. It starts to become alive in a real way. And then ecstatic is defined as a person subject to mystical experiences. Isn't that great? An ecstatic is defined as a person subject to mystical experiences. And, you know, to be ecstatic is to be happy or joyful or with some connection to a mystical or, or non-conventional self-knowing, self-transcendence. And we start to realize more about who and what we are, about the nature of what's sitting in our seat. Whoever we are, whatever gender, race, community, culture, uh, or sexual orientation, age, doesn't matter. That essence of who we are, or the, the fundamental of who we are, or the foundation of what we are is already here. And Dharma practice is to discover oh, what's here. What's sitting in this human seat that is on a cushion or a bench or a chair or a standing, it doesn't matter. It's here and what we use, what, what is um, encouraged, what's considered skillful to discover what's here is our awareness. And the capacity to start to attend or pay attention to the human experience in a contemplative way, in a mindful, bodyful, heartful way, in an intimate way, in a way where we realize, oh, we don't know what's here. And that's an important piece. <clears throat> because when we start to know impermanence or that things are transient or that things are not just an idea but there's a dynamic reality that's alive right here in all its forms. None of its forms are bad. You could be happy, sad, you could be joyful, you could be angry, you could be bored, you could be interested, you could be energized, you could be tired. It's all part of the expression of reality moment by moment. And it can be known. We, we're aware of it when we're tired, when we're pissed, when we're sad, when we're happy, when we're bored. The awareness is happening. So what happens, or one of the qualities that supports the movement to waking up is to realize, oh, maybe we don't know everything yet. Maybe there's more for us to learn about human phenomena. Maybe there's more for us to learn about human reality. 
maybe that not knowing can help reveal the living or dynamic aliveness that's sitting here that's not fixed or not reified or unconcretized or fluid or open or spacious or mysterious. Suzuki Roshi also said it this way in terms of practice. He said, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we begin to learn as we practice is the value of beginner's mind. And so let me ask a question. And all you have to do is raise your hand. How many people here are beginners to meditation? How many people aren't? <laughs> Put your hands down. You're all beginners. We're all, we're all beginners. And it's really one of the beauties of Dharma practice is to start to recognize what it means to be a beginner even though you've been practicing you know, a year or three years or five years or ten years or fifteen years or twenty years or thirty years and realize, oh, and, and it's not like you think, oh, I'm a beginner at 30 years, like one year. No, it's, it's, a, much, it's a much better beginner. <laughs> but really what I mean is you start to realize that reality is to be known now. And knowing it now is not just the memory of knowing it in the past. That knowing it now is alive now, is here now, is real now, is and, and is beautiful now, or is difficult now. It's all all can happen, but it's like here. I'm going to give a, the kind of example I shouldn't give as a Buddhist teacher. It's like if you're having sex, right? If you're having sex. And you're married, you've been married 20 years, and you've had great sex with your wife. You're not thinking about the first time you had sex with them. It's happening right now. It's alive right now. It's new right now. Even though it's familiar or we know something about it, the aliveness, the intimacy is alive. That's why we like the word intimacy, because it's pointing at something real, not something created by our ideas or beliefs or our memory or our history. There's something here. And so one of the things <coughs> about beginner's mind is we start to engage with reality with a freshness or an openness or an unknowingness, even though we know a lot. We don't have, here's the beautiful thing about not knowing. Not knowing doesn't mean you don't know. <laughs> okay, somebody's leaving as I say that. <laughs> no, I, better, I better explain it. Not knowing means we're not bound by what we know. Right? And I've said this many times in this group, but I love to say it. Um, I, I think if I can remember the name of the book by Krishna Murthy, which is Freedom from the Known. Freedom from the Known. He wrote a big book many years ago. Krishna Murthy was a teacher in the last century who was quite well known and famous and 
respected, he wrote this book called Freedom from the Known, which so summarizes what I think is important about that teaching that I never read the book. <laughs> I didn't want to know what he had to say about that. He said it all right. That, some, that the known is fine. It's great to know what we know, but not to be bound by it, not to be imprisoned by it, not to be reified or rigidified or concretized or limited by what we know. Take what we know, live with what we know, and then see what else reality has to show us see what else the Dharma has to show us about reality, about ourselves, about the potential for freedom, for awakeness, for liberation. <coughs> so, um, and if you're new to practice, if you're really new to practice, it's beautiful because you don't even have to try to have a beginner's mind. You could just let yourself relax here and pay attention. And that's, that whole practice will take you very far in understanding the teachings of the Buddha and the Dharma. And that's something that we all have to keep um, uh, coming into direct experience of no matter how long you practice. And um, so one of the things that happens is we're not that not doing is an important skill in Dharma practice. Not, not doing is a skill and an art, and it's part of not knowing. It's letting ourselves see, oh, we don't know what to do, right? That Dharma is just not a doing of doing the right thing and then you awaken. I mean, maybe it is, maybe I'm wrong, but part of what, what I see is that there's a certain amount that we learn and we know how to do and that's all good. It's great to know how to be mindful of the body and the breath and the feelings and the thoughts. And the, but that's happening already if we pay some attention. In other words, we're aware of what's happening, right? Is everybody aware of what's happening to them right now? Right? And if you're not, take a moment and just notice whatever's here. Right? Whatever's here. And you're aware of it. Let's also start to pay attention to the awareness that's knowing reality. Because that's not something you have to do. The awareness is not something we're creating. It's already here. So, but there are skills in practice, all good. But one of the skills is the value of both, maybe here's the best, better way to say it, knowing and not knowing, both together, work together, support the depth or breadth of understanding that comes with Dharma practice. And here's one way to think about it. Think about if you've ever seen a great dancer, really a great ballet dancer, or a modern dancer, or a conga dancer, or any kind of dancer, one of the things that they do is they look like they're so relaxed or so easy. It's so fluid. They're not, it's almost like they're not doing it. But they are doing it. But they also know how to not do it. They give themselves to it. And it does itself at a certain point. 
And the same happens in mindfulness practice and meditation practice. We start to learn how to give ourselves to the practice of awareness. And awareness is already here. It's not something you have to go find somewhere. You can't get it at Walgreens. I promise you, they don't have a sale on awareness. I mean, they probably do, but, you know, don't, don't buy that one. I've got a better store for you. <laughs> the Buddha, Buddhadharma. And so the grace of effortlessness is part of what's possible if we can be open to what we know and what we don't know and start to be skillful with practice and to have beginner's mind as we practice. So a few things that can be helpful here. Um, um, and I've said it before, is when you're sitting, when you're coming to meditate, be a little bit interested in what the hell is happening. And what I'm rousing here now is the investigative factor. Be interested in it. Be curious about it. See what you learn while you're sitting about reality. Don't be afraid to learn something in the Dharma or to learn about reality or keep developing. Just don't hold to it in a way that blocks out new learning, more understanding, more discovery, more of reality showing us about what, what are we, what's here, and what, what is freedom. Um, so one of the things that is very helpful is a kind of curiosity or joyful interest and, and um, one, of the, one of the translations of rapture in the seven factors of uh, enlightenment is either joyful interest or somebody I know recently translated it as curiosity and that's a beautiful quality to bring to your meditative practice and bring to it and, and bring to you meditative practice all day long Right? Not just when you're sitting. Be interested. What's happening? What, what am I aware of? What's my reaction to what I'm aware of? What, and what's what, is, what is the totality of that experience? It's mental, physical, emotional, you know, beyond mental, physical, emotional. Can I be, what happens when I let all of that awareness happen? All of that knowing happen? How does that impact me? And then see, and then you're aware, because you're already aware of the impact. You're already, you're already conscious of what's happening for you. Now we're being aware of what we're aware of, as well as the awareness that's aware of the fact that we're being aware of what we're aware of. <laughs> Sorry if that's a little too zen, but, you know, it's just that kind of night tonight. So, um, so, that, that, so I'm really encouraging curiosity and this kind of joyful interest. And again, think about the enthusiasm you have when you've discovered anything and you're interested in. Whether it's cooking something new, whether it's a new plant, or maybe it's a new sport, or maybe it's a new, 
I don't know, they have crossword puzzles. I don't even know what they're called anymore. They're, they're not called crossword puzzles. But, you know, but people get really interested and it's like, and your attention goes into it in a pleasurable way, joyful way, an interested way. Or if something difficult happens, we get interested in it. And that interest, our awareness is right there. And so we can start to pay attention and bring our joyful interest to whatever is here, whatever reality is revealing moment by moment by moment in this human life as the doorway to awakening. And so really I'm talking about the meditative posture, but also the not meditative posture. The moment by moment, your daily life, your whole life. Let's really be mindful for... Uh, anybody want to be mindful for 24 hours? No? Okay. Because the hands go up like this. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Okay, how about 12 hours? A little higher. Do it. Really pay attention. You're already aware all kinds of stuff's going to happen. You're going to know stuff is happening. Be aware of what's happening and the awareness that knows it, and any reaction to what happens, and the awareness that's knowing what's happening. And so, again, some of the things that support practice in this kind of very open way, curiosity, joyful interest, honesty, truthfulness, essential. I mean, I mean actually, you can do it without a truthful honesty and truthfulness. But then you have to be aware, oh, I'm lying now. I'm not, now I'm telling myself I feel great and I feel shitty. Okay, I'm lying again. You know, that's okay. You can know. Believe me, we all lie to ourselves a lot of the time. Let's not be judgmental of that. Let's be open to pay attention to it. And when I say lie, I don't mean we lie in, a, in an evil way. But we pretend a lot about reality. When we tell ourselves a lot about reality that maybe it's not the whole truth. When we have a lot of thoughts or feelings about ourselves, maybe they're not the whole truth, actually. But like most people have a not good idea about themselves. Anybody ever notice that? Or am I the only one? Right. Like, really? Well, really what I would say is probably that idea is not true. But we believe that idea. And so what we want to do is start to be mindful of what we're aware of. Oh, there's this idea, and I believe it. This, this, this feeling, and I think, oh, this is me forever. And then we have reactions to it. We're yeah. judgmental of ourselves. We're angry with ourselves. We say, well, I'm never going to get it. Be aware of all that movement of mind and heart, and then notice that you're aware of it, and that there's an awareness there that's not bound to what it knows. And I'll say that again a little differently. The awareness is not defined by what it knows. It's knowing lots of stuff. It's knowing the clock is ticking, or the bell is ringing, or the, you know, the Warriors won the game today, or, you know, it's, but, you know, it's not the, that awareness is not defined by what it knows. Let's start to pay attention to this quality of heart-mind called awareness or mindfulness, bodyfulness, heartfulness. 
And um, it's good to be playful with practice. And I know nobody ever likes to hear that, because everybody wants to be really serious about practice. But play with it. Make mistakes. Mistakes are good. Mistakes teach us about reality. We'll learn from our mistakes. And the willingness to make mistakes is part of the willingness not to know how to do it perfectly or do it right, but just to do it and see what happens, see what we discover. Really, it's one of the beautiful things, and I've said some version of this many times, about really reading the Buddhist text about the Buddha's life, because he had a tremendous faith in his intention to wake up. And he did all kinds of wrong things. And he wasn't afraid to make mistakes. And then when he realized it was a mistake, he said, this is not working. I'm not going to continue to do this. I'm going to try this now. Or I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to, but I see this doesn't work. And he doesn't berate himself for doing it wrong or not knowing. And not knowing is such a beautiful part of our reality. Everybody get that? You can tell me if you don't. It's okay. You don't have to believe me. But really, I mean, what an, what an amazing mystery we live in. Right? Human life. Because nobody knows what the hell is going on. Totally. <laughs> really. You can just move and learn. And, and that's really what not knowing is about. Not knowing doesn't say, oh, forget, you don't know anything. You all know lots. There's so much more to discover. What a beautiful, strange domain we are in called human reality, where we can keep learning more about this experience and this experience, and even things we, we don't even know how to conceptualize at times, we can learn about. Or the simplicity of the beauty when we don't know. This is from my, my good friend Rio Khan, the poem. He said, the bamboo grove in front of my hut, every day I see it a thousand times, yet never tire of it. Bamboo grove in front of my hut. Every day I see it a thousand times, yet I never tire of it. It's alive. It's new. Every, every, really, the truth, and again, one of the few things you could believe me about, every moment is totally new. It's wild. It's, it's as wild as anything I know. <laughs> and I'm always happy when I know it, because when I don't know it, things aren't so wild. I have a little wild preference in mind. <laughs> but <laughs> really, it's just so interesting that things, that even <coughs> is just alive. And so, <clears throat> the skill <coughs> with not knowing is part of how to begin to root in the awareness that's sitting here, and the mindfulness that's aware of things, and let it be fresh every moment. And, and here's a beautiful thing. This is really a Eugene thing. Being fresh in every moment means even being fresh to not seeming fresh in every moment. <laughs> now that's real dharma. 
Right? You don't have to make it fresh. You can think, okay, I'm going to do what Eugene said. I'm going to just sit here and everything will be fresh. Well, this doesn't feel fresh. But even that is fresh. <laughs> you know, and, and, it really, and the other piece that's so lovely about this kind of Dharma practice is it's like, um, I, I like sports. I saw the end of the Warriors game today. Very, I'm happy they won. Um, I'm not ultimately happy, but I'm relatively happy. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I like to watch football. You know, I love to watch the 49ers. Um, um, and um, one of the things that happens in football, the offense, you know, people throwing the ball, running, you know, they, um, one of the things a quarterback or whoever is calling the plays will say, they said, they'll say they, they made the play based on they were taking what the defense gave them. So in other words, they see what's out there, the other team is doing, and they, they live with it, and then they respond to that. They're not just saying, oh no, this is the play I'm going to do no matter how the defense is. Because that's not taking reality into account. And really, the Dharma also, it's really good for us to be open to taking reality into account rather than thinking our meditation is supposed to be like this or go like this or end up like this or look like this. You know, we can have a lot of skill in practice and a lot of things can, we can be very supportive of samadhi and awareness and mindfulness of the body and breath, and etc. But we also want to be open to, oh, and what is, what is reality presenting right now? And even, I'm, and I realize, I, I wrote this, but I, I, the association I have with this is when I go sit on retreat, especially, and I've done a lot of serious uh, samadhi practice, concentration practice, and awareness of body and breathing. Great thing to do, totally great. And, but one thing I've learned to do in doing serious samadhi practice, which takes you into beautiful realms of consciousness, I have to say, and it's highly recommended to learning how to collect our heart and mind, our consciousness, in totally present together, and then to pay attention to reality in that way. Um, one of the things I learned, or I would do, I'd, I would go in for a sitting, and instead of doing the sitting the way I was going to do it, I would wait a minute or two, I would say, oh, what's reality presenting? And then I would adjust my uh, 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 skillfulness based on what's here, right? Because sometimes I would go sit down and I'd already be so concentrated, just be shh. But sometimes I would go and sit down, I'm thinking about what the teacher said, or I had an interview, or I, my stomach hurt, or da da da. So I didn't try to get rid of that. I would start with that and then move to my samadhi practice, my breath practice, and my body practice. And so part of what not knowing brings is a naturalness that we love, because we want to be natural, right? Anybody into non-organic? 
<laughs> you want to be a non-organic person? <laughs> no, we all want to be. We all want to be ourselves, and that—that's when I say ourselves. I mean it like capital S. I mean it in the deep way of what it means to be real. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be free? And here's a poem again from my friend Rio Khan. He said, "With no mind, with no mind." the flower opens. With no mind, the butterfly comes. When the butterfly comes, the blossom opens. When the blossom opens, the butterfly comes. I do not know, K-N-O-W, I do not know others. Others do not know me. Not knowing each other, we naturally follow the way. <coughs> With no mind, the flower opens. With no mind, the butterfly comes. When the butterfly comes, the blossom blooms, opens. When the blossom opens, the butterfly comes. I do not know others. Others do not know me. Not knowing each other, we naturally follow the way. It's one of the doorways to reality, beautifully written by Ryokan. And you ever, you ever notice that? Like, you think you know somebody, and then you realize you don't know them? That's really great when it's your family. <laughs> your mother, your father, your children, really. I mean, it's just such an amazing thing. And I realize it's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all your mothers. And to all of you who are mothers. And to all of you who may be mothers, and to all of you who aren't mothers, <laughs> really, because we all share the mother lineage, and it's a beautiful lineage for all of us that we all have mothers and are born, and and you know some of us even have more kids and are mothers themselves. Beautiful. Funny, I mean, my mother's uh, dead, and, and I was thinking, oh, I got to call my mother today. And, God, I can't remember that number. And, you know, it might come to me though. You don't know. And really, and I'll, I'll be I'm more honest. I've had some interesting um, experiences with my mother and father, who were both dead, uh, that surprised me at times. And I'm, I'm not a big mystical guy in that way. I mean, I like, I like a little, I like mysticism and stuff, but that's not how I think of myself. I'm not psychic or I'm not this or that. But it really was surprising to, to have something happen and see, oh yeah, maybe I don't know what's going, everything that's going on or what it means to be dead. And maybe I don't. I'm, I'm more convinced of that than ever. Believe me, that's that got clear to me. So the Buddha said, he said, this committed life, this committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. And so we want to pay attention in a mindful way, a heartful way, a bodyful way, in an investigative way. We want to be curious about reality. And here's a, you know, because the Buddha didn't just say, he didn't say, he didn't say this committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and letting go of them. 
he talked plenty about being free of things and not being attached to things. But he also pointed at the skillful means of beginning to understand reality and ourselves, not as a fixed thing. Here's the other way I like to think about understanding. You understand something, you put it on those little yellow post-it notes, and you post it. And then when you see, oh yeah, that's not actually it, you take that down and you put up the new post-it note. And you know that. And you might know that for five years, and then, oh yeah, your understanding deepens, new post-it. Don't be afraid, I'll buy you the post-it notes if you need them, if you have too many. Really, it's a beautiful way to work with our knowing and not knowing. Knowing and not knowing. And, and so he said, he, he didn't say, right, just let go. He said, because with understanding, um, you don't have to let go. It happens by itself. In other words, experience, when it's known intimately in this dharmic way, is self-liberating. Self-liberating. Letting go happens. Not It's not something we do at a certain point. And here's a, here's a poem from uh, Billy Blake <laughs> who said, he, he who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. He who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. And that's a beautiful understanding of the what's called the deathless or the dharma by William Blake. Or Rumi said it this way. Rumi a little different. He said, if God said, Rumi, pay, pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience in my life, not one thought, not one feeling, no one act I would not bow to. I'll say it again. If God said, Rumi, pay attention to everything that has helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience in my life, not one thought, not one feeling, not one act that I would not bow to. That reality is here to reveal itself to us. And our work, our play, our job is to pay attention and to let the attentive quality, the awareness, function fully and see what happens. And so the liberation through non-clinging that the Buddha described is a process of getting more and more present. Is getting here. Like the whole deal is get here. Let's be here. Whatever is happening, let's be here. And start to wake up with what's happening and be open to what's happening or allowing what's happening, which doesn't mean you might not want to respond and change what's happening at a certain point, but we want to open to it, allow it to see it or to know it, not resisting, and, and not just being defined by what we know from the past, but staying open to the living reality of what's here. 
And so we don't do the Dharma. The Dharma does us. We don't do the Dharma. The Dharma does us. And I'll, I'll then, I have two choices here. I'm going to be telling you. I can tell you a really uh, difficult story of suffering that is quite illuminating. Or I can just give you more of a poem, Buddhist poem. What do you want? That surprised me. You've heard you've heard this story. I've read it before, but I, I've always been so moved by this story about a woman named Allison Wright, who was a Dharma practitioner, a Pasana practitioner, and um, was in Asia and was going to um, Bodhgaya for a retreat with Christopher Titmus, an old friend of mine who taught there many years at New Year's, every New Year's, and um, she wrote, she said, she said, a logging truck, oh, a logging truck screeched around the corner on a remote Laotian jungle road and slammed into the bus I was riding. My left arm was shredded to the bone as it smashed through a window. My back, pelvis, tailbone, and ribs snapped immediately. My spleen was sliced in half except you, I mean I could just go on she's got more uh, you know she was in a serious accident intestines were out of place uh, blah 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 uh, with my lungs collapsed and my diaphragm punctured I could barely breathe I was bleeding to death inside and out and it would be more than 14 hours before I received real medical care a practicing Buddhist I'd been heading to the retreat and now I lay crushed, bleeding at the side of the road. Struggling to draw air, I imagined each breath to be my last breath. Breathing in, breathing out, consciously willing myself not to die, but I could have died. And I concentrated on the life force fighting its way into my lungs. And also I was aware of pain. Pain became my anchor. As long as I could feel it, I knew I was alive. I thought back to the hours I had sat in meditation, fixated on the sensation of my leg falling asleep. <laughs> Believe me, I've had plenty of that. That discomfort could hardly compare to the torment from my injuries, but I discovered that meditating could still help me focus and remain alert, and I'm convinced it saved my life. I managed to calm myself slowing my heart rate of the bleeding, and I never lost consciousness or went into deep shock. In fact, I never felt so aware, so clear-headed, and completely in the present moment. And then she goes, she, she goes on, she says, finally a boy who looked to be barely in his teens appeared, sloshed alcohol over my rooms, Without using painkillers, and without using painkillers, stitched up my arm. The agony was almost more than I could endure. Six hours passed; no help had arrived. Opening my eyes, I was surprised to see that darkness had fallen, and that's when I became convinced I was going to die. As I closed my eyes and surrendered, an amazing thing happened. I let go of all fear. So I closed my eyes and surrendered. An amazing thing happened. I let go of all fear. 
I was released from my body and its profound pain. I felt my heart open, free of attachment and longing. A perfect calm enveloped me, a bone-deep peace I could have never imagined. That was, there was no need to be afraid. Everything in the universe was exactly as it meant to be. And as I lay there, I felt how interwoven every human spirit is with every other. I realized that death only ends life, not this interconnectedness. A warm light of, uncon of unconditional love encompassed me, and I no longer felt alone. And then she ended up getting help and living. So let's sit for a minute. Thank <laughs> you.